Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Taylor, TV editor of ThePopBreak.com. I'm joined with Marissa Carpico, the film editor of ThePopBreak.com. Say hi, Marissa. Hello. And this is the Too Early Oscar podcast. I had to catch myself because I nearly said the other podcast that we host, and the winner still is. But, no, this is the Too Early Oscar podcast, our Oscar previews throughout the calendar year. There aren't that many... Oscar movies being released into theaters nationwide at this time of the year, but the Tribeca Film Festival just took place, and Marissa, Marissa was on the ground covering, seeing 34 films and covering a lot of them for the site. I don't know how she did it. Marissa, how are you feeling with all these? So tired. I oh, would I'm like sure. to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't even imagine what, what the past few weeks... How, so how long is, have you been watching these movies for? Like, Was it like, did they start critic screenings early? Um, yeah, they start them in late March. So I watch them, and then they have them every day. So I would go... I scheduled it so I would have one every single day. And there were a couple days I missed because um, I had like plans, like tickets for things that I'd already bought. And at the time, I was like, oh, that sucks. But then when they happened, I was like, thank you, God. Like, <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But yeah, like I would see like two or three on a weekend, like on a Saturday. And then right both, like I would go see one and then I would deliberately put a space between the next one uh, and that, like, and the first one. So I could write one very quickly in a Pret-a-Manger or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go, <laughs> I would go back in write another one and then usually i would go home and maybe watch like a regular commercial film or like whatever <laughs> as like a palate um, cleanser <laughs> yeah like i went to see the beach bum at one point um and yeah and i just did it every day for weeks and then i would go after work on on weekdays and see usually one there was one time i saw two and it was like it fucked up my whole schedule for a little bit because i was like oh my god this is this is insane <laughs> this is a lot but yeah i can write these things in like pretty fast now as long as they're not like not interesting do you know what i mean like if a a movie i'm sure you have the same problem like if a movie's not that interesting it's like hard to write about it for whatever reason yeah i encountered that a lot with the new york film festival where like there you see like what like that was 14 films i think i I did this year Mm -hmm. um during the new york film festival in just two weeks and like if a movie doesn't stick out, it's almost worse than being bad because you're just like, what do I do? <laughs> I yeah, I mean, the the things that I didn't review on the of the list were like things I fully intended to review, but they were either so um, mediocre or like completely un. There was nothing of substance to them um, <laughs> that I just was like, I'm not going to use the mental space. I'd rather watch like write about um, you know 17 blocks or something, which I still have to write about actually. Um, but yeah, like I, it's just. I mean, and funnily enough, all of those, most of those films ended up being the, um, the like buzzy pictures that everybody would want to write about. Yeah. It's always interesting what makes buzz from Tribeca because like, yeah. it's not as much of like a name, um, podcast almost said, <laughs> much of a name festival as mm-hmm. like Toronto where you have like the stars coming out. But yeah. then like, you know, in theaters now is that movie Diane, which won last year's audience award and that's getting a bunch of buzz so it's you never quite know how it'll shake out with yeah it's just so far in advance of the oscar season that like it's kind of a dumping ground slash like a small test area for like mostly documentaries which is mostly what i saw like 
Although there were tons of narrative films, I just, you know, I'm a documentary queen for whatever reason. Yeah, but that's, it's great. They such a wide range of topics they were um, covering. I don't know the statistics, but like, there are so many queer films that are represented and just like, people, yeah. like films directed by people of color. It's, and I think they at least had like a third of the films directed by women. So like, it's really incredible. It, very interesting lineup. We're going to go through it. I only saw two films at the Tribeca Film Festival. Three if you count a um, uh, anniversary screening of Say Anything, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, let's start near the bottom of your ranking, which you can find on Letterboxd, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I painstakingly privately put it together, people, and then um, and then released it today like a like a beast. <laughs> you let it out into the world. Yep. Um, so this film isn't right at your bottom of the list of the ranking, but I saw this one and I think we have very similar um, feelings on it. And that's In Fabric, the new film from Peter Strickland's, who directed the fabulous Dukes of Burgundy. Um, so good. That so movie good. is so good. It's so good, Dukes of Burgundy. Watch Dukes of Burgundy, people. It's weird. Don't watch it with your parents. Yeah, <laughs> or a BDSM movie about two women. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great movie. Um but his new film, In Fabric, is being distributed by A24 later this year. And so it's going to be a big indie film. Do you want to go into the plot a little bit, Marissa, and what you thought of it? Sure, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll do the plot, but you know, you wrote the review, so I definitely want to hear your thoughts afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, In Fabric, uh, oh God, what is the plot? Well, it's two parts. The first part is great. It's about a woman who is has a horrible son who's ba- who's dating um, BDSM <laughs> Gwendolyn Christie, which is, you know, a movie I want to see. Um, I did not recognize her until, yeah. like, halfway through the movie, and then I, like, gasped <laughs> when it's I figured it out. It's such an insane role, and, like, it's such against type, and she, like, disappears into it, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this woman is dating, or is 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 older, and she, she's trying to get out into the dating scene again, and she goes to this... Um, this weird department store in England or in London, I guess. And um, she buys a, a really sexy red dress that shouldn't fit her, but it does. And then the dress turns out to be haunted. And like, well, I don't even know. I mean, it's <laughs> the, the dress is evil. Let's just say that she starts to get rashes and, and like starts like almost getting like, she keeps getting hurt. A dog attacks her. And like, we all know she should get rid of the dress, but like, I mean, honestly, she looks so good in the dress. I was like, eh, you know, it's kind of worth it. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> if I yeah, had something like, that fit me that well, I would never let it go. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would be glad to die in that dress. Um, but yeah, the dress starts like hovering above her bed and, and, and it's, it's really chilling and scary. And like you had, you had likened it to Suspiria. And I think it's a totally like, and Giallo films in general. And it, I think that's totally correct. Like it's such an eerie thing. And then, that part ends, and then suddenly a whole new chapter essentially starts, like a whole second half, a, an extra hour of the film. The second hour is a completely new story that is not that engaging, and it's about this c- dumb couple who's like, and it's completely totally different. It's kind of a comedy, um, and it just it ruins an otherwise great film. What, like what I said to you um, when you asked me about it before you'd seen it, and like I wanted to be really vague was that like the, the structuring is disastrous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I literally completely agree. It's kind of insane how much, like, the movie goes downhill at -hmm. the halfway mark. So, like, I was watching it, and the opening credits, which has this great score in the background, and um, 
like just flashes of images from the movie over the opening credits without context. I was like, I'm in. Like this is going to be great. Um, the first hour, like you said, is scary. It's it's a little funny. Like I mean, it's hard to like have a movie where like it's a haunted dress and not have it be a little funny. But um, like it's also really scary. And like then that last hour is disastrous. I like I kind of remember sitting there and I was like when the film transitions into the second hour and the second story. Like, the first story ends, and I was like, that was the fastest two hours of my life. Like, what a great movie. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, it's not the end of the movie. That was actually just an hour of my life, and now yeah. I have to watch this awful second half. And like you said, like, the tone really changes. The first half is funny, but the second half has, like, this um, almost, like, um... I forgot the name of the show, like the IT Squad or something like that. I think it's called. It's like a British sitcom with Chris O'Dowd. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah it has like that, that sort of sense of humor. There's one like cringy scene of these two characters who run a business who are in the first half as well, like talking to the protagonist and like this scene that I think is going for like a Pulp Fiction sort of crossover. Oh, got it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I knew exactly that you were going to talk about that scene too. Like when you said it's bad scene, because <laughs> it's it's like. It's awful, and you know, the first half of the movie is not very subtle in what it's trying to do. It's very much like a a horror dark comedy about capitalism and retail, but like, the second half, it's like, Peter Strickland was like, I'm afraid they aren't getting it, so I'm gonna go even more <laughs> obvious, and it's like this extended scene of these two, like, rich characters talking to a working class character, and the jokes are all so obvious, they like get, like, sexual pleasure out of hearing him describe, like, um, his, the day-to-day of his job, and I'm like, I don't get what this is going for, it's stupid. And it happens with them and other characters, so, like, there's this suggestion that he's got some sort of magic when he talks about, like, literally how to fix a washer-dryer, which, like, who needs it? No, it was so disappointing, um, and even, like, the first half, even in the scenes that don't work for me, like, there's a lot of very, like, um, weird sex stuff with mannequins mm. that I kind of was like I Oh could... god I forgot about that. Oh I, I cannot forget about that. <laughs> There's one shot specifically where I'm like they can show this in an R rated movie. <laughs> but um but I was like you know like I could like give or take that. I don't need that in in a movie but I was like, you know, <laughs> at least like it's interesting and it's well well filmed. And then the second half, it's like even at its like best moments, I was like, this is just passable. Like it feels like it was directed by somebody else, and it, I was very disappointed in it. I was really excited for this movie. I um, it played at the Toronto Film Festival, which I went to last year, and it, it like was the only film premiering after I had to leave the festival, and I was super bummed. And then I bought tickets, literally before boarding the plane home from Toronto to see it at the Brooklyn Horror Festival and they canceled the screening of it because it got bought by A24. So um, I was like, this movie is cursed. I will never see this movie. And then I nearly had to miss the screening at Trebek for personal reasons. And um, then like, I finally saw it and I was like, this was not worth the long no. wait. <laughs> no, no. I didn't even wait that long for it. And I was like, oh, what a pile of shit. It's disappointing. I'm. Yeah. It's a very on brand for A twenty four, and as I, as I say a lot with A twenty four movies, um, I don't love it, but I'm very happy that it's going to be getting a wide release because it's the sort of movie that like 
would never get a wide release if it wasn't for a studio like A24. Like, the same with Climax and High Life. Like, I cannot believe those movies are playing at local suburban cinem- like, cinemaxes. Yeah, totally. And totally. I'm like, God, I can imagine the people walking out of High Life in my hometown, but it's cool that, like, the few movie nerds here can go watch it. So I'm like, good for the people that will enjoy this. It's getting really good reviews, but not for me, and not for you, apparently. No, not at all. But it wasn't the worst thing you've seen. So I would like to start at the bottom <laughs> of the list again. Bliss. What is Bliss and why is it so low on your list? Well, it is um, – here's here's the way I'll sum it up. Uh, people – critics rarely walk out of a screening. I mean it happens, you know. Um, but eight critics walked out of this Oof. of like 20. <laughs> so – and I've never seen – a critic bleed like that never in my life and i was i almost walked out because i was like this has been such a long day and then i was like nah, it's like 90 minutes i'll just sit here it, it'll be nice to just not think about doing other things for a bit but yeah it, it was if people were flooding out from about 15 minutes in it is a um an la based um vampire movie uh which is everything i should love it has great cinematography but the performances are I mean, truly some of the worst thing I've, things I've ever seen. And it's um, it's trying really hard to be, like, you know, um, challenging. But it's just, like, so boring. It's, like, it's so predictable in its, like, desperation to be edgy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, like, you compared it to The Hunger in your Letterboxd yeah. review. Which I've never seen, but I know a lot about from reading and everything like that. And it's honestly one of my favorite vampire movies of all, of all time. It is outrageous, and it's <laughs> like beautifully made, and it, it parts of it don't make sense. I fully admit that. I don't give a shit. Maybe. And it, it actually takes some of the story beats of that, this, this film. So that's like the worst kind of film you could see at a festival like this, where yeah. it's someone who you can just tell really liked a movie and tried to riff off of it. And yeah. it's always disapp- disappointing. This... Yeah. This director, Joe Bagos, um, I don't recognize anything else that he's released based on his letter, letterbox profile. None of these seem to have made much of a mark. Um, do you think he has potential, or are you ready to just write this director off? Well, I mean, Almost Human is supposed to be pretty good um, from a couple years ago. I haven't seen it. Um, although I think, actually, I think there might have been some kerfuffle about him stealing some stuff from it but anyway um yeah i mean it's well made there are some beautiful shots in it there's these loft shots where you can see the sunset in the background um like at magic hour at all times and it's gorgeous and like there's some there's definitely something there but i think someone else should be like writing these like interesting he's not ready yet um, but I just was like so ready for like a pulpy vampire movie and then it sucked shit. And I like, <laughs> I had originally promised to write a review for it for the, um, the PR people. Cause they had like sent out a thing like, Hey, here's a movie that we're doing. Like you want to review it? And I was like, Oh, I'm actually already planning to see it. And then they asked, I was like, Oh my God, I hope they forget. And then like two days later they were like, Hey, you're going to um, review it. And I was like, I'm no, I don't have time. <laughs> like I just lied. Cause I didn't want to be like, it sucks dick. Yeah, that's some, that might be the best way of going going about the situation. They don't want that review out there anyway. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, but going moving up the list, I'm I'm going to skip around a, a bit in your bottom yeah. ranking. But if there's one specifically you want to 
Oh, uh, we shame. can we can not talk about No Land after this moment, but it won like best right like the the win it, it won a script award, which honestly it has no script. Read my review, everyone. That's what I fucking <laughs> that's what I fucking rail about. I was like, where is the script, basically? Um, so yeah, I don't know what happened there. Um, what which one were you going to talk about next? And if if it's not one I was going to talk about, then I'll I'll jump back to it. I was going to skip ahead to Georgetown, a movie that. I think got a little bit of buzz at the festival just because of the talent attached. But is there one you want to specifically? I actually do want to talk about Safe Spaces really quick. Do you know yeah. anything about it? Um, I had heard things about it. It um, not much of the plot, but the cast itself was really interesting. And I remember yeah. thinking about seeing it. I'm interested in Fran Drescher doing yeah. something at an I will tell you right now. Don't go anywhere fucking near it. One uh-huh. of the worst movies I saw at the the fest. Like. On, on second thought, I probably should move this lower than Noah Land, um, just because it wastes a great cast. It's it's Justin Long, Kate Berlant, who is phenomenal, um, and clearly wants to uh, improvise through the whole movie, but isn't allowed to. Um, Fran Drescher, like, so many good people in this movie, and it's wasted, um, because it it is, it is literally a movie about um, Justin Long's character as a teacher, and he basically forces it, not like, not forces, I mean, he's playing it funny, but like a person, a person our age would immediately be like, oh, this is crossing a line. Basically pushes a girl in a writing class to talk about a sexual experience in front of her peers in a class. Um, oh, wow. And then gets in trouble for it. And then basically the whole movie is literally like about um, Dan Schechter, the writer-director, um, Basically, like, uh, making straight white guys the victims in this cultural moment. So I am glad that I can tell you not to see it, Matt. (laughs) I'm happy, too. I just the title was a bit of a turnoff for me because I don't know. I think the whole conversation on safe spaces in general is so funny to me because it's like no one's doing anything traumatic by asking for one. And the people that get so up in arms about it, I think, truly don't get Mm-hmm. what they are <laughs> yeah. so i just the title alone i was like i don't want an exploration about what this is but i'm to here they waste kate berlant who i'm a huge fan of for did you watch the other two no i still haven't haven't had time yet because part of it was during you know tribeca and then yeah i just haven't had time yet i want i absolutely want to because i love that writing team it's an, a, fan, a fantastic show. Anybody should watch it. A lot yeah. of these people are in, like that are in the Trebekah Film Festival are in shows I watch that I'm going to plug. <laughs> but Caperland has one episode in the other two, and she's brilliant, and that show is wonderful. And I'm not going to reveal what her big line is in the show, but I've been saying it all the time to my friends. Yeah, um, watch the other two. Anyway, let's move on to Georgetown, a movie starring our favorite actor, Christoph Waltz. Um, it's and, also directed by him. Oh, and it's directed by him. And... Yeah. It stars someone who we actually consider a favorite actor, Annette Bening. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with Georgetown? Bad. Really bad. Um, Vanity Project is the is the name of the game, people. Um, apparently, the studio fucked with the ending, and it's, it's, it's a little more salacious than it, I guess, originally was. Because um, it's based on a true story, but, like, none of the names are used. Uh-huh. Um, but the problem with it is that, number one, Annette Bening is barely in it. She's, like not even a supporting actor in it. It feels like she's just like a, she has would be a fucking extra in this fucking thing. Um, Cause she's like in it a lot in the beginning. And I was like, Oh yes. And then she just basically disappears for long stretches. Um, the real acting showcase in it is Vanessa Redgrave who pay, who plays Annette Bening's mother, which is like 
wow, Jolie Richardson is fucking fuming somewhere. Um, <laughs> Justice for Jolie um, Richardson, who gave us some great performances of Nip Tuck and then nothing else. I mean, you, we could go with Miranda Richardson, too. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> Vanessa is phenomenal in it. She plays um, the older, she's like an older journalist whose husband died, and then Christoph Waltz's character, like, woos her and then basically uses her influence to become like a like a player in Hollywood. Uh, or not Hollywood, sorry, uh, DC. Um, hence, Georgetown is where they live. Um, but the big problem with it is that uh, it's not interesting. The story is uninteresting. Like, it starts with a murder and you literally don't care. You're just like, when is this going to end? He's obviously a fucking huckster. What, wh- where is this going? Like, there's no, only one place it's going to go. We already know. Um, and on, oddly enough, Christoph Waltz directs this movie, but it is the least charismatic performance he's ever given. Like, there's nothing that makes him – everything that makes him interesting in other films is not present here, and I'm not really sure why. He's such an interesting actor, I find. Like, or just an interesting persona, because I remember when Inglorious Passions came out, like, that whole year was just the year of being like, what an exciting discovery he yeah. is, and I can't wait to see what he does next. And he's, like, consistently let me down with everything he's done since then he's done a couple good things like i kind of like um big eyes he's good in that um and i but i mean maybe that's just the amy adams of it all and i also used to have a big eye painting um yes it was was a a candy cane matador um (laughs) it's exactly what you think um and it um and like he's good in um what was that one with jodie foster do you remember carnage i've never seen that one i've heard mixed things but it's not it's not great but it's like Oh, goody, four actors I really like yelling at each other. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just really didn't work for me. Although a lot of people at the festival liked it. Like critics were like, I heard critics in other screenings being like, that was so good. You have to catch it. I'm shocked. Um, the only reviews on Letterboxd that I'm seeing are pretty negative, which is, but maybe it's just my curated Letterboxd mm-hmm. feed. Um, <laughs> but. I, I'm mildly curious. I'm upset to hear Annette Benning's in it for so little, but I do like how is Corey Hawkins in it. I'm a fan of Corey Hawkins. I'm excited to see what he does, whatever he does next. Corey Hawkins. I, I, let me try to look at his face to see what, if I remember oh. what his role is. It doesn't sound like it's a very relevant part. Then. <laughs> I mean, it just like might be someone I don't know very well. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. He, oh yeah. Um, he's a lawyer in it. He's barely in it. Ugh. Disappointing, yeah. but it's interesting. It's real vanity project for um, Waltz, and he's like the main character, and in every minute of it, so like, really temper your expectations. It's not good. Well, was it picked up? You said it, uh, there is a studio with it. Do you know if it's getting like a di- yeah, distribution? Yeah, I mean, it's already got like distribution or whatever, I believe. But like, um, whoever I get, maybe it's just the producers or whatever. But the scuttlebutt from like people sitting in the in the you know critics sitting in the thing was like, oh yeah, apparently it's, it got like brutalized by by whoever paid for it, um, and he was not happy about it. But like, bro, let me tell you something. I don't know what the ending, the original ending was, but everything else before that ending is bad, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, let's jump ahead a little bit on... Actually, no, before we jump ahead, I want to briefly talk about Clementine, a movie which you ranked pretty low, but I know it's been making a lot of rounds in the New York film festival circuits. Like, not the New York film festival, the New York... Like, just the different festivals around the city. Yeah, I've been yeah, seeing... it's, it's played a lot of places. Yeah, I've been seeing that image of, like, the two girls lying down next to each other, um on like so many tweets and everything what is this what is this movie and what are your thoughts on it 
Um, I was very excited. It was like uh, a movie about a woman who breaks up, a young woman who breaks up with her older girlfriend. And uh, the woman, the older woman, um, like, steals her dog, essentially. So she breaks into the older woman's um, lake house to just, like, basically get revenge. And also she doesn't know what to do because she got thrown out of the house. Um, And then she meets this really young girl next to the lake. Um, and then it kind of turns into this Lolita thing, which I was like, okay, sign me up, queer narrative, queer Lolita narrative. Like, I can't wait. Um, and then it's, there's no chemistry between the leads. <laughs> so none of what happens makes sense. Like, when a boy shows up to, like, be a romantic rival, you're like, okay, but, like, that, also, how old is that girl? She's, like, she says she's 19 or whatever, but she's definitely, like, 15. Um, so, like, yeah, it's, um... It's beautifully made. Like cinematography is stunning, and the um, I wrote a review for it. If everybody wants to read it, but like, um, that's the other only other one I've written a review for so far, far so far for because I, the other ones I decided I was like I'm, I don't have time. Um, <laughs> but like Clementine, if there's so much potential, and then it just doesn't do anything with it. The people have no country. You never root for them. When the Chekhov's gun reappears in the final act, you're like, but why would she do this? Like for this person what's happening <laughs> and like the director has talked about it being like um this like idea of like you get hurt by someone and then you like transfer that hurt to someone else or whatever or like the way that cycles happen and you understand things the older you get like it just didn't it didn't work for me in any any capacity very disappointing i love that just the image that so that accompanied all the film festival mm-hmm. tweets about it but uh, it's, it sounds interesting. I might still give it a try, but I will be I, very cautious. Yeah, I think I think it works for other people. Um, it just re- I just was like so excited by that like description and the initial cinematography is stunning. And the like and the lead girl, the older woman, the like middle aged well not middle aged she's like late twenties. Um, <laughs> like she she's like a person of color. I was like this is great, like fantastic. And then it just oh my god, it bottoms out so quickly. Very disappointing. Um, and now, just to jump ahead to the movie I was going to um, ask you about, Dreamland, this Margot Robbie movie, which I'm always surprised when someone as big as, like, as, big as Margot Robbie, Robbie makes an appearance at the Trebekah Film Festival just because it's more of like a character actor thing usually. Mm-hmm. But um, she's a movie star and she's showing up in this movie called Dreamland, which you seem mixed on based on your two and a half stars on Letterboxd. What's, what's, <laughs> what's the tea on, on Dreamlands? That is another one. I actually got a ticket to this. Cause like it was, um, there were just, there was just like tickets left in the final screening of the, it was like Sunday night at nine thirty PM. It was like the last screening of the whole fucking festival <laughs> basically. Um, although I think there was like one later one at, at the Regal, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I got a ticket to it and I was like, Oh man, Margot Robbie. Great. Like, I mean, I've seen so much of her, like, back catalog. Like, I saw Z for Zachariah in theaters, and most people don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, people should see it, though. She's really sexy in that. Right, like, <laughs> side note, there is a scene in that. I remember she is, she's in a, a body of water swimming around, and she looks at the a male character, one of the male characters, and, and it, like, does this stare where they clearly are, the sexual tension is building to between them. And I literally was like, I in the theater, I went, oh, my God god (laughs) and like another guy next to me was like holy shit it's the most incredible thing i've ever seen and also chris pine is in it and she would tell edgy for it's phenomenal um but this was bad it was a it's a 
first time, like a, well, not a first time, but like a young director um, who was at the screening and did a Q and A afterwards, but I was, I was already gone by then. Um, and it, it's a Bonnie and Clyde thing and it, um, it's bad. It's just bad. Like she is a, she's basically, um, if, if Bonnie and Clyde, Garrett Hedlund is Warren Beatty and Margot Robbie is Faye Dunaway. So God, what a, I know what a pair. (laughs) <laughs> I was so excited. They're so beautiful. But then, you know, he quickly dies, basically. And then she is out on her own, and some little boy comes along who's like, I don't know, he's supposed to be in his teen years, but he's probably like 25. Um, and like saves her because she's been shot or whatever, and she's hiding in the bar- the family barn. And she's like, you have to help me. And she turns on the charm because, like, I mean, if you saw a, a bleeding Margot Robbie in, like, you know, period clothing from the 20s, in your garage asking for help. We all know what we do. It's, it's obvious. We don't have to talk about it, but like the kid does all that. And then he like is already obsessed with gangsters. So he gets obsessed with her. And then like, it becomes this thing of like, is he going to betray his family? And like, they'll run off to Mexico together, but it's like, you're never sure. Well, like, I think what you're supposed to think is that she, she's playing him and then it becomes real. Spoilers. I guess these are spoilers, but who gives a fuck? No one should see it. Um, (laughs) I'm not kidding. Um, But either the director never told her that or the I don't know if the movie knows what it's trying to say. So what it becomes is a little boy projecting his fantasies on a young woman on a woman um, and then living out those fantasies. And then she do you mind if I spoil spoil the ending, or do you not want me to? I I can totally not do it if you. No, <laughs> I. This is one that I remember seeing Margot Robbie's like face in the program, being like, yeah. "Do I want to see this one?" And then I read the plot. And I'm like, "No, <laughs> Lynn." It's it has every problem you think it's going to have based on the like, you know, she gets fridged at the end basically. So like, it's fully every bad thing you think about with like a movie about a boy being in love with a girl who's out of his league. There is one great scene in it in which she's taking a shower in a hotel room and she's behind the wall. So you can't see her, but you can hear the water and, and see like her arm, just like part of her arm at one point. Um, and she tells the boy, like, you want to take a shower with me? And he's like, he gets weird about it. <laughs> like he doesn't dive right in, which is like, you can hear the audience being like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, he doesn't dive like right into the shower, fully clothed. He like is like, I don't know if you're really asking me because you want me in there or just because you like know you need me around. And the, and this scene goes on for like 10 minutes and the camera slowly moves in closer as he like, and you're still only seeing him for the most part. But then near the end, she finally, the camera finally scoots over and you can see her. And it's like this literalization of the, the intimacy between them. And it's so good. But the, the movie itself is not very, it's not good. Disappointing. This director, yeah. Miles Joris, Pe- I'm not even going to buy it, but jo- Joyous, Joris <laughs> Payafer, I don't know. It's a hard thing <laughs> to pronounce. Yeah, I actually don't know. Um, his first film, As You Are, I remember making a bit of a splash at the Sunland Film Festival in 2016, and I really wanted to see that, but, and I was like, I don't know, just interesting tra- trajectory for this, for this career. And also, Margot Robbie is just fascinating in the sense that, like, she's an A-lister who still shows up in these random indie movies that, like, 
typically look like mistakes on some level. Like she was in that one terminal that I think was like produced by Nicholas Winding Refn and it just looked like a mess. And I think by all accounts was a mess. And um, like films like, you know, you mentioned Z for Zechariah, which got good reviews, but like no was just thought. very like um below what you'd think someone of her level would do same with um even though i think this is a case of a, a movie being filmed before she broke break broke big but like sweet francis or um the who is that kate winslet project i think michelle williams project that like oh. was a weinstein picture that was delayed like three years or something like that just like she shows up in all these little like random movies and it's such an interesting interesting career i don't know but we stand margot robbie yeah i love her but yeah it's it's a it's it was weird to see her in it and it just didn't really work at all now we're gonna move for a little bit into i think i think we're moving up the list to the films you kind of liked Mm -hmm. um getting to the good stuff i'm gonna lump two documentaries together because they're both similar and they're both queer documentaries Ooh, can i actually mention the two that we skipped really fast because only because oh please scheme scheme birds won the documentary award which is the most insane thing i've ever heard in my life it's not a very good documentary compared to all of the documentaries we're about to talk about um Uh and then there's a framing john delorean uh documentary which is actually just a movie about um alec baldwin playing john delorean it's it doesn't understand that it's 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 a documentary but it doesn't understand what that is and it's bad so skip it everyone skip that skip scheme birds i thought scheme birds was is fine it gets better but it's not worth like paying money for i don't know i don't know how it won i don't know how it won yeah, Framing John DeLorean looks wild. It has, like, so many a- actors in it for a documentary. Miranda yeah. Baccarin, um, Josh Charles. It's, it's mostly um, reenactments and behind-the-scenes reenactments. Odd. But, you know, skip them. Those are the hot takes coming from Marissa. Um, but now, two documentaries that I'm going to lump together that... they, I think they're both sad. One of them might not be. But... Um, <laughs> They both have more on the heavy side of the queer of the queer documentaries that played at Tribeca, um, Gay Chorus Deep South, and For They Know Not What They Do. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about about those, Marissa? Yeah. Um, so I saw um, For They For They Know Not What They Do like last, the during the actual festival, um, and it is. I think there are some issues the way it's made. Like it's too montagey and it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. So it doesn't let you ever like sit with these people for a minute. Um, Cause it tells like really a couple of very compelling stories. One is about this Christian couple whose son comes out at the age of 12 and they immediately put him into conversion therapy and the kid like really devotes himself to it. And then of course it doesn't work out, you know, because it's, it's not real conversion therapy um and uh then he starts taking drugs and it's like this family you see them make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake and it's like jesus fucking christ it's like so tough to watch um and then there's like on the other side of the spectrum there's a um a trans woman who like started transitioning in the middle of college you know basically was worried that her she was always interested in politics and then was worried it was going to like end her political career but like she spoke at the dnc sarah mcbride people people might know her I follow her um, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, she, wonderful. Really great deep dive into her life. Like, um, do you know about her her husband? No. 
oh my god it's the worst it's so fucking sad at the end of the movie or like the last part of the movie her dad says something like you know when it when it first happened we were i was so worried like is she ever gonna find someone to love her and love her like love her and that she can love in return and i was like oh what a, what a thing to say <laughs> like, um like <laughs> so it's like i was like oh oh I'm, I'm crying already um and then she meets another uh like a trans a trans man at um at the white house when they're working at the white house together and they fall in love and then the boy gets cancer and it's like fucking awful it is awful it's so rough oh, no. um yeah and then the uh, one of the other people they interview was at pulse and had had convinced his friends to go to pulse that night at, at of the night of the shooting so it's it's a rough documentary i don't know who will choose to watch it i think everybody should even if again there are some problems with the filmmaking. Um, it's a little self-defeating, but it's like, you got to see it. It's completely worth seeing. It sounds really wonderful, even if it's probably going to be a brutal watch. Yeah. But it's definitely um, on my radar. And then Gay Chorus Deep South, is that is that a sad one or a happy queer documentary? I it's get... pretty feel-good. Um, good, good. Yeah, no, no, Patrick Harris like was at the uh, screening. Also, Sasha Valore is credited in the credits, even though she's not in the movie, which is so interesting. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, I just spotted it. I was like sitting there after the movie wait, while the credits were rolling, and I was like, Sasha Valore. Um, it was just like a special thing. So like, who knows what? Maybe she was showed up within the tour or whatever. Um, it's a little too like feel good movie for me. I think it's like I, I want it to dig more into certain things, like. The thing that's most interesting about it is that it's like literally this movie about all of these. Technically, the the chorus that that goes around this this tour of the Deep South after twenty seven or after twenty sixteen, they're they live in they're based in San Francisco, but they all of a sudden we realize like oh a lot of the people in this chorus are grew up in the South, so it's about them going back to the South and healing these these wounds of their childhood and the rejected church and the rejected family that that they had to leave behind um and that's all interesting but like i don't know it just is it I, it never quite goes far enough to me maybe i don't know it just like something's missing about it that made me like think it was good and people will love it and it'll be a real crowd pleaser and it was a very big crowd pleaser at the festival but like it just wasn't like it won an audience award but I, it just wasn't for me interesting no i i can understand that Some, sometimes you want a little more of a deep dive with things like this, like, um, but it sounds interesting. It's an interesting topic. I didn't know it was specifically about the post twenty sixteen tour of the American Deep South, but um, yeah, they they specifically go on tour to states where laws have been passed that are anti anti like LGBT in any way. Interesting. Was is it more of a tone like they're doing this? to reach out to queer people in those communities or was it more of like a queer eye thing about showing to straight people like we're just like you or something like that it's a little of both which is what to me felt like a little a a little like outdated about it Mm -hmm. especially you know things have already changed so much since 2017 so yeah it it felt it is both things but there is like there's a, there is this great moment where um, some guy, some like uh, seemingly cisgendered white male southerner is like bitching, being like, you know, we're we're not that like you don't have to come down here and like talk down to us and tell us that like to be happy. We're not 
we're, you know, we're, we're strong down here. And then like literally right after that, they show like six interviews with like people of color and women who are just like, this is great. I'm so happy they're here. Like I can't hang out with anyone of my, like, I'm so scared to be anywhere. Like this is wonderful. So like it, it's, it's both. I think it, it knows both, but like it, fe- I think the right thing to say is that it feels outdated for, for what, like we were already at a different place, you know? Right. Yeah, I, it's the sort of thing, I'm very cautious with a lot of these type of stories, typically, because I'm sure I'll enjoy Gate Gore, Steve Sal, it's on my radar to watch when it gets released, um, but like, you know, I it, I have a lot of mixed feelings about shows like Queer Eye, I kind of wonder if the message we should be taking in 2016 or post-2016 is like, trying to get straight people to accept us so i don't know like i i it's i'm more of i'm I'm getting more and more radical with each passing day so i'm kind (laughs) of like but i would love just the scenes focusing on like reaching out to actual queer people and trying to um like show queer people in the south some yeah there, there are these three young uh like teenaged queer kids that they focus on who like you know, have to lie to their parents to come to the to the performance, and that that shit is great. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, moving up a little bit to another documentary that I want to just quickly talk about: Ask Dr. Ruth, the story of Dr. Ruth Westheimer, the Holocaust survivor turned sex therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's her ninety. Her she's ninety. It's about her ninetieth birthday. Um, yeah, what? she turns ninety in it, I I think. But yeah, it's 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 basically about her life and stuff. Um, it's going to be on Hulu very soon. Um, and everybody should watch it. It's very good. My only, the reason it's so low on my list and honestly, everything from like, for they know not what they do is basically me being like, this is fine. I just saw a lot of movies and this is the way that things get ranked. Um, but like it's my one problem with it is that there's a lot of animation in it for instead of reenactments and the, and the animation doesn't always work for me. It feels a little too like cutesy, you know? Yeah, that's the tough part with a lot of documentaries. Like you, mm-hmm. they take the like there are some of those documentaries that just take like a lazy approach to reenacting those sort of things, or like they don't want to do a like a traditional montage. And I always get iffy about those. But Hulu, like that's what I love about Hulu. It's just going to be like so easy to watch, and I will. Def- that's definitely one that I want to check out. Um, I kind of want to do a bit of a jump up to yeah the film you ranked seventeenth. Is there anything before? we jump that high that you um... uh, no I mean the heart of gold one about the Olympic um, the controversy about the Olympics the gymnastics stuff with um, that fucking guy whose name I can't think of right now um, he's the heart, a piece the, of shit yeah that piece of shit yeah that piece of shit um, Larry Dasser um, is good but like after I saw it and I was like wow that's a masterpiece and then I saw another documentary right after that that was much better or like better made and I was like oh you know maybe it's not that great still good though gonna be on HBO everybody should see it um quiet one is good it's about uh Bill Wyman one of the Rolling Stones guys who most people don't know about or like don't think about but he's great it's a very good documentary dog doc is is also very good it's about like alternative medicine for for dogs (laughs) um you know, uh, my, any any dog lover who is our our parents' age, let's say, would love it. Um, Devil's Pie is about uh, D'Angelo. It's fine. It's, it it doesn't tell you anything about why he was gone for so long. And uh, picture characters about emojis, but you should just listen to the ninety nine percent invisible um, episode. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> we both bonded over the the song that I think is in picture character. What it send me an emoji? Is that the name? It's of it? just called Emoji by by a young girl named Brooklyn Queen. Everybody should listen to it. I 
like they play it during the movie and I was like, what a dumb song. And then literally afterwards, cause they play it in the um, credits, me and another uh, critic were in the bathroom afterwards and we were both humming it. So it's, <laughs> it's actually pretty good. <laughs> I, you told me about that song the day after you saw the screening and I was like, this is like stupid, but catchy. And then I played it for my friends that night and they were all like, we question everything that, that we ever believed you have tastes. And I was a little heartbroken. Um, but no, it's pretty catchy <laughs> in like a Friday sort of way. Friday yeah, exactly. is in the Rebecca Black song. Um, moving on up though to not a documentary, but a film called Come the Daddy starring Elijah Wood, which I read your review. It was, you saw it kind of early in the festival, right? Like it feels like that, it was an eternity ago. That was the, one of the first ones I actually saw it. Like that was the first live screening I saw. That was like opening night of the fest, I think, or no, maybe night two. Yeah, it was night two. No, it was opening night because it was Thursday, so I had to go see it. I had to leave my co-worker's retirement party to go see it. Um, <laughs> and Elijah Wood was there, and I almost bumped into him. And, like, I was just like, I, I don't need to bother Elijah Wood. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it's a weird It's a weird um, horror movie, basically. I, it, it, there's a big twist in the middle of it. Have you read anything about it or anything like that? Just what you put in your review. Um, mm. I know it's something about, like, a a son um, reuniting with his father who he's estranged from. Is that, is that true? Yes. But there's a, there's a twist in the middle and it becomes, it's still about um, fatherhood and um, like father son relationships. But basically I'll just say this. Um, (laughs) It's very weird. And like you, I figured it out very quickly because I watch a lot of shit, but like I still enjoyed the journey of, even though I knew what was going to happen, basically in the first 20 minutes. Um, I was still like, you know what? This is a lot of fun. And it gets really gory at the end of it. There's one dumb scene that's like a little too like, like there's literally like four dicks on, on screen and you're just like, okay, we, we've seen enough of that one dick. Can, can, we, can we not? Um, <laughs> but basically the director came out on afterwards and was like, um, somebody was like, oh, how did you think of this movie? Um, and the director is Ant Timpson. And he was like, uh, well, my dad died, and then um, I had to, like, live with his dead body in a house for a couple days while people, like, came to visit. You know, like, sit shiva, basically. <laughs> so we just, yeah. like, yeah, so, like, that experience inspired this. Take with that what you will. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like a pleasant a pleasant watch. <laughs> it's a weird one. It's a totally weird one. I don't know if it'll work for most people, but I, I was pretty, I was into it. I thought it was fun. It sounds uh, your review really sold me on it. I'm very excited to check it out. Yeah. Um, one film that was actually probably my most anticipated at the festival that I couldn't make, and I was deeply upset. All the screenings sold out like right away. Is plus one, which will be getting a release. I think this August, if I remember correctly. Um, it won the audience award, so yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna, people are gonna like it. I think it's definitely gonna get a, a decent release, if if not like a very wide one. This is the rom-com. Let me make sure I'm getting the plot correct. It's um, Maya Erskine and Jack Quaid play two friends who like agree to be each other's plus ones to like a variety of weddings or something like that. And I'm sure fall in love in the process. Yes, that is exactly it. It is wonderful. They are, she is incredible. Like Jack Quaid, he is, you know, listen, he was genetically engineered to be in rom-coms. He's the, do- he's the son of Dennis Quaid and, and Meg Ryan. That's, you, you can't deny that pedigree. But, exactly. Uh, Rom-com <laughs> royalty. It's like 
so good in this. She's really sharp and quick-witted. And a lot of their relationship is based on their, um, their chem- not their chemistry necessarily, but their verbal sparring. Um, and yeah, they just go to the series of weddings together because they both have like, they're both like around your, your my age where like all of their friends are getting married in the same year. And they're both like, this fucking sucks. Do you want to come to some of these and like, at least we'll have a buddy, do you know? Oh, yeah. Because she breaks up with her boyfriend right before the, um, or he breaks up, he cheats with, on some, on, on her with someone. So she's like, I already RSVP'd with all these plus ones. Like, please come with me. It fucking, I don't, I can't do this. So they just like keep going. And then I didn't think there was any chemistry, but then they turn on the chemistry like right in the middle. And I was, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like screaming in my apartment. Cause like, Classic rom- rom-com writing. Every beat hits exactly when you expect it to hit, but it is superlative. I- I'm so excited for you to see it, Matt. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. Maya Erskine is um, the writer and st- co-star, co-writer and co-star of Pen15, which is on Hulu. It is my favorite TV show of the year by far. Um, I cannot imagine some- like something will have to be amazing. Like Big Little Lies will have to send me to like into a coma for anything to beat Pen15. <laughs> As my favorite show of the year. Um, I, I really hope we get to put um, Died doing what he loved, watching Big Little Lies on your on your gravestone. <laughs> I mean, it, what a way to go. <laughs> but um, Pen15 is a masterpiece. I have watched it in its entirety twice now, even though there is so much TV to watch. Um, so I'm just excited to see my Irish going to do literally anything else. It looks, it sounds great. Um, more rom-coms. I'm, I'm very excited to check that out. Um... I'd like to jump ahead to your top 10, but really fast, do you want to go through 15 through 11? Yeah, there are there are a couple I want to mention really quickly, because these are films I actually really liked. But, like, they, they – they, and a lot of them were in, like, the top five, but they just got slowly pushed out. Um, 17 Blocks is about a single family over 20 years, a documentary. Um, they just used, like, the film that they the, – the family used to take of each other and – there's a implication of a murder at the beginning. Um, and it's just the way that like poverty and that one death in that family influences everything. And also like drug addiction. It is incredible. There was a woman in my screening, the woman who spoiled Endgame for me, actually, um, <laughs> <laughs> followed me around like a disease. Um, she cried for about the last 45 minutes and it's like an hour and a half, this movie. Oh my God. Um, it's gorgeous filmmaking. I pr- like once I write my review, I honestly might push it up the list. So that's why I definitely want to mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, Watson is very good. So is Halston and our time machine. Those are all um, documentaries. Our time machine is about um, a puppeteer artist basically who basically makes a, um, a play about his dad dying as his dad is slowly dying of Alzheimer's essentially. It's tough to watch, but it's very good. Halston is about um, the fashion designer Halston from the seventies who basically, if you look at all the clothes in the seventies, he's the reason they look that way. And then he did. So like now all designers have, you know, a big, a, a big box store or something that has their lines, you know, like Isaac Misrahi does target or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Like everybody does that. He was the first one to do that, but it ruined his career basically. And then he like, I, I don't want to say entirely how, because the, the film sets it up as a mystery, which is actually the framing device that doesn't work. Um, Tommy Gevinson plays like a little minor, like a amateur detective trying to figure out what happened to him. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, it's funny. I actually saw her like on the subway right afterwards, like not connected to the screening, like two days later, I was like, Oh, 
Tavienson, you were just in that movie I saw. Um, <laughs> but it's very good, especially if you're interested in fashion or just like culture, realistically. It's so vital to like why, like literally the 70s and 80s fashion is, is Halston. It's all of it. Anything cut with a bias cut, which means just from one piece of fabric or like um, against the grain. And then like one, it's like he would, he, he cut everything against the grain and with one piece of fabric. So you see a dress from him. It's all just one piece of fabric for the most part, which is insane. And it's just like emphasizing the female body. Anyway, I'm getting too technical. See that Watson <laughs> is about a guy who helped start Greenpeace, but then became his own thing. Cause he was too radical. Um, it's about like, it scared the shit out of me. I actually haven't been able to really eat seafood since. Oh um, no, I can never watch it then. I like seafood yeah, too much. <laughs> it, I shouldn't have seen it. It was so upsetting because it like literally the whole, <laughs> since I've seen it, I was just like, the whole the whole globe runs on whale shit. We're, like, we're screwed. Because <laughs> um, apparently whale shit is like uh, part of the reason, like creates like 70% of the world's oxygen. It's not trees. It's whale shit. Who knew? Um, <laughs> and what happens to whale shit? But yeah, like it, it, it upset like i i ate shrimp like not long after it and i was like oh i feel terrible i don't know if i can do this anymore um and i love seafood and then i definitely want to talk about amis which is um i don't know if i'm actually pronouncing that correctly but it's going to be called ravening in the states um i'm gonna probably spoil it a little bit just because it happens halfway through it becomes you've read have you read my review i didn't read your review but i've read the like plot summary in the Trebekah catalog. Yeah. Um, that sucker's misleading. Here's what happens. <laughs> First half of the movie, rom-com. Beautiful rom-com. I was like, oh shit, why did nobody tell me this great rom-com is in this festival? Second half is a fucking horror movie. And the reason it turns into a horror movie is because the two of them are constantly sharing food. So when they first meet, um, the guy is, he's in like a meat-eating club, basically. Because like in India there are different reasons for people eating. A lot of people don't eat meat. It's this whole thing. He is obsessed with it though. He's studying eating habits in India. Um, and she is just like a doctor who has a husband who's always away and they just need, they connect over dinner and it's like, Oh wow, this is a great rom-com. And then they keep eating meat and they keep eating more and more exotic meat. And then oh, suddenly no. you're, you're exactly right. He decide like they are about to they don't fuck. <laughs> and because they don't fuck, he's like, I'm gonna feed her a part of myself. And then it comes a cannibalism horror movie. It's fucking wild. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> it I, sounds I kind of like um what is it called? Um the French film that like made waves a few years ago. Raw. Um what was it? Raw, like R A. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. is, is that like kind of on par with what it's what, what it's going for? I I think I kind of like this better because it truly it's a rom com. It it lulls you into such a salt, false sense of security in that first half that when it turned into what it turned into, there were critics in my screening who were like screaming, like oh every time something happened, and it just escalates. It's wild, bro. Like I I think people should see it. It is weird. I don't I don't think a lot of people will like it, but I thought it was phenomenal. <laughs> I'm very curious. It's it, it sounds. I mean, I love horror movies. I love rom coms. I'm interested. Very. I, th- I think you might like it. It, it sounds gross. Um, I don't think I've ever talked on a podcast yet, but I had a horrible fear of cannibals growing up. It was my the weird thing that kept me up at night when I was like eight. But oh, you're gonna flip. I'm I'm excited. Um, before we get into your top ten, uh, I'll just quickly plug um, plug. 
<laughs> we're not being paid by Cameron Crowe, but um, but I got to catch um, the anniversary screening, thirtieth anniversary screening of Say Anything, the Cameron Crowe film. Um, which I mean, like this movie is really famous. People, you should not need a plot description, but you yeah. know, John, young John Cusack played plays um, this very charming kind of slacker graduating high school who f- decides to ask out the valedictorian and over the course of that summer they fall in love she's put by ion sky um and the better subplot in the film that makes me love it so much is that um the his love interest's father um is being investigated for tax for tax fraud essentially and it's about this daughter growing to like understand that the the single father who raised her is like this flawed human being and um it like i hadn't seen it in a couple of years before going to the screening it is um my dad's a huge cameron crow fan like has all of his movies he even likes elizabethtown he's that he's like he's that in deep Um... (laughs) on cameron crow but um my dad and i went to go see it together because he was just so excited and cameron crow was there along with most of the cast and um and it was a really nice experience it was my first time watching it in like years and i forgot how good it is um it reminds me a lot of ladybird like if i had to compare it to a teen film from today i think it does a lot of what ladybird's doing in that it's like treating the teenagers as if they're real people and not just like fictional young people played by grown adults um and it respects their problems but it's also mature and is explored it's like a little bit deeper than what your average teen film is going for and i'm a huge fan if you haven't watched it um it's more than just the film where john cusack stands outside of a girl's be- um, bedroom with a boombox <laughs> um and lily taylor's in it and i love lily taylor and i always forget she's in it but she's one of the best parts of it and um just just li- more lily taylor i'll watch lily taylor movies Whenever I have a chance. Have you ever seen Say Anything, Marissa? You know, I haven't. I'm shocked. I, I, yeah. would, I would love to hear your thoughts. Are you a, a Cameron Crowe fan at all? I love Almost Famous. I've seen it probably 300 times, I swear to you. Um, I watched it every time it was on TV when it's I was a, a kid. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, Almost it's perfect. And Jerry Maguire. They're both masterpieces in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. I'm excited to rewatch it again for whenever we have to do that Oscar year. But, like, yeah, I, I am... I should have seen it. And it's been on my, like, queue for years. I just, it just never is, like, high on my list, you know? Yeah, it's, like, funny because it definitely it definitely has its fans in the movie. But it doesn't have, like, the passionate support that, like, Almost Famous Jared Maguire does. Yeah. Um, but, no, I'm, a like, a big fan. I'm not going to defend Elizabethtown. It's an awful movie. Sorry, <laughs> Dad, if you're listening. I will defend Vanilla Sky. I think Vanilla Sky is pretty good. But, um... You know, Cameron Crowe's interesting. There were a couple of other revivals at this, um, or I don't know what I don't know what they technically call that program at the. Reu- I, yeah, I don't. It's um. Oh God, it's like anniversary stuff. But yeah, they did like uh, Reality Bites, which is not a movie I love, but it got a lot of attention because Winona showed up and brought her purse on stage. <laughs> Good for Winona, honestly. I <laughs> thought about doing that one too because yeah. um, I don't love Reality Bites at all. I actually. I remember watching it. My dad showed it to me as um, when I was a teenager, and he because I liked Empire Records a lot, which I know you you're not a fan of. Oh God, I hate that. <laughs> but I like went through a whole phase in middle school where I was like, Empire Records is amazing, and then 
I watched Reality Bites, and I remember, like, siding with Ben Stiller's character and being like, I think this movie is, like, not for me. <laughs> I watched it in the last year, I believe, and I was like, um, she's out of her fucking mind. It's Ben Stiller all the way. He has a job. <laughs> exactly. I remember just thinking the whole time, like, Ethan Hawke is a dick in this movie. He's what? <laughs> He's awful. But I really thought about going to the screening because I was like, I would pay to watch Winona Ryder in person do anything. <laughs> like, literally, she could just go on stage and not talk, and I'd be like, I feel satisfied. She could rifle through her purse. <laughs> Please. Um, and then I believe they also did This Is Spinal Tap. Um, yeah, they did Spinal Tap. A friend of mine went to that. Um, she was real sick, though, so she didn't really enjoy it that much. But she said the show was great, like, because they did a concert afterwards. Um, and then oh, they that's did... awesome. Yeah, right? And then they did Apocalypse Now, I believe. Yes, uh, they did, because my dad also wanted to do that, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not sitting in those uncomfortable chairs for yeah. three hours. No, word, word. Um, and then there was something else, I think, but I can't remember what it was. But yeah, the, it was a, there was a, I mean, that, that shit is cool. That's the stuff I didn't go see, because, like, I would have had to pay for it, or, you know, talk to someone beforehand. I also didn't go to any talks, because I, well, I wanted to go to a talk, but then there was conflicting information online and versus my actual badge. So I showed up to, to the Jennifer Lawrence one, you know ready to walk in and you would have thought I had a fucking bomb strapped to my chest and like an anti Jennifer Lawrence shirt on. It was, they, I could have been, I was a dead hooker in the street to those people. It was, they just did not have the time of day for me. That's disappointing. I've never gone to a Trebekah talk. I'd be, I'd be curious, but like, I don't know. It's a lot of, it's a lot of work to go. um, It was her and David O. Russell. So it was like crazy. I heard he pledged to write another script for her and I'm like, good. But have her play someone her age this time. <laughs> the thought. Um, okay, so let's dive into your top ten. Um, let's start with What's My Name, the Muhammad Ali documentary, which I believe is going to be on HBO in the coming months. Yes, very soon, actually. I think in May 17th is the day. Let me... Oh, Something nice. like that. In the next couple weeks, actually. So it's like any minute, realistically. I have to watch it. It's, I mean, it's, it's your number ten. What, what's the thoughts? Well, I love boxing. Um, it's three hours long, so it's like two parts. They're going to do two parts. Um, it speaks to how good this movie is that they actually they accidentally – well, number one, it was the first thing I saw. And number two, it um, they played it out of order. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it was bad. So, like, we watched part two first, and then it wrapped up, and I was like, uh, oh <laughs> And, like, I was like, hmm, that's a weird ending. Like, I guess – like, I'm surprised they skipped his childhood. <laughs> Like his early career, <laughs> so I was like, okay. I mean, but it, it very, it's very effective. So like, they played it out of order, and it was fine. You know, I didn't mind it. Um, it's very good. I just like boxing a lot, and it's a very good portrait of like it's only archival footage. I oh, believe. Wow. I don't think there's any new new. There's no talking heads, and there's like I don't. I'm pretty sure there are no new interviews. So like, it's just him in interviews talking about his career, and it's the brilliant thing about it is there's this like, um device throughout where they count up it's directed by Antoine Antoine Fuqua Mm -hmm. and they count up his win loss record and at first it seems like man what a fucking incredible person and then the halfway mark hits and something happens to him during he gets knocked down and and clearly gets punch drunk punch drunk which is what he he calls it um during the Joe Frazier MSG fight and it eventually and that's when rope-a-dope starts essentially um and that becomes the way he fights for the rest of his career, which is essentially the reason he clearly gets CTE. And he he and his doctor maintain that it, the Parkinson's was not related to any of the boxing, but 
watching him get the shit beat out of him for the final hour or so is like, it's, 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 it's tough to watch. Cause it's just like, this is, you know, one of the greatest American athletes of all times. And, and he just ruined his own life basically by through this career that like, you know, he's the best boxer of all time. But like at one point, one of his former starring or bar, sparring partners who became a pro boxer um, beats him. And the guy starts crying after the fight because he knows like what's happened. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's really good. Uh, it'll, it'll be on HBO any minute. I'm excited to check it out. The HBO just constantly pumps out like content that makes me think like, I'm never going to cancel the subscription. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's move on to Wig, a documentary which, according to Letterboxd, stars my beloved Naomi Smalls. Um, she, she's not in it a ton. So Wig is about um, Lady Bunny. She has a... Um, she starts Wigstock in the 70s? No, the 80s. Um, and it's this, like, drag drag event that happens in the daytime at Tompkins Square Park in the band shell. And, like, that's the whole point. It's in the daytime, and it's just, like... You know, it used to be just, like, other drag queens and then, you know, people with their families would show up. And it was this big cultural thing that happened every year in September. And then it, the last one was on September 3rd, 2001. And after that, Bunny and everybody was like, all right, New York has changed. We can't do this again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So they stopped doing it for a number of years. And then last year, they restarted it. Um, I mean, at least they did one. Who knows if they'll do another one this year. But basically, it's about the... Um, about Wigstock, but also about like what drag is now and the way that like RuPaul is constantly all over it. Like they have a lot of the archival footage that most people you can actually look for it on YouTube. Um, there's all this archival footage of like RuPaul at a deli in the eighties, <laughs> like after leaving Pyramid, like buying like a you know a bagel or some shit. Um, but she never shows up in the show or in the movie now. But they talk about Drag Race. They talk about the way that RuPaul becoming mainstream has like allowed drag to become mainstream and bunny constantly has this tension of like, she clearly thinks that's not real drag, but she doesn't want to say it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But there's this really interesting trans female drag queen who seems incredible, who I like absolutely have to see now, but um, it's just a great like movie about drag that actually will also be on HBO at some point. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know that one. So, yeah, so that'll be, you know, that'll come out eventually. Um, I still have to write a review for it, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's just about drag in general, and they're like, Naomi shows up for like a minute, and, um, you know, you get to see Jinx, Monsoon, and, and Bianca Del Rio's in it. Like, it's all these like big drag queens that you know now, but also like drag queens from back in the day, um, some of whom I, I had never heard of, and I was like, my God, this person is incredible. Like, so it's just a really interesting, like, movie about the drag scene in general i don't know really what it's trying to say necessarily i think it it's kind of showing both sides almost of like you know there's commercial drag and and there's still underground regress or uh, transgressive drag and both are maybe both are valid maybe both aren't but it's just showing both anyway Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know i think it's something you know any drag fan should watch for sure i'm really excited for it i there's so much like really interesting dialogue around drag race and what it's done to drag in general. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we both love drag race, obviously, but I'm fascinated by this conversation. So 
Looking forward to that. I'm happy HBO is releasing. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm. I can't. I'm. I'm be so happy to watch it again. I mean, as someone who again who watches Bur- Paris is Burning, just for fun, even when I don't want to watch something else all the time, I, I'll be glad to have something else to go to. <laughs> um, moving on to your number eight, A Woman's Work, a film that I saw you tweet about a few times, and it yeah. sounds really terrific. Um, yeah. Do you want to break that one down? It's about the it's about the NFL, I believe, right? Yeah, it's uh the the whole title is uh, a woman's work, the NFL's cheerleader problem. It's actually um like kickstarted, um, yeah. Um, but it's a documentary about the cheerleaders who in 2014 there's a Raiderette and there's a um a Buffalo Jill who um sued their teams because I I I guess I knew I had heard about those at the time, but I'm not a big football fan, um, and like. Football needs to be canceled completely, like especially after watching this, because I had to check. I wrote, I write notes during the movies, and especially a documentary because there's so much informational stuff. Um, but there was a piece of information in, in my notes here that I had to check because I was like, that cannot possibly tr- be true. But the Raiderette girl, not only does she not, they the contract says she won't get paid until the end of the year, which is nine months. Um, she doesn't get a single paycheck. She has to pay for everything out of pocket. Uh, makeup maintenance travel all of it um and then when she gets the paycheck at the end of the year guess how much it is i can't even it's probably going to be disgusting (laughs) 1250 oh my god yeah a thousand dollars 200 one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars like that's for nine months of work like there's a lawyer her lawyer eventually is just like this is straight up wage theft (laughs) like i don't understand how they're getting away with this um and all of that stuff is interesting. Like, if you're a football fan, you should absolutely be watching it. But the thing that is most remarkable about it, remarkable about it is that it it really lives up to the first half of that title, title of woman's work, where the director, who is uh, Chinese, she was born in China and she was raised in um, Canada. So maybe she just has a different perspective on this, you know, football situation. But mm-hmm. she, um, basically what happens is that the, like, it, it becomes about female labor, both in terms of the way it is devalued in in culture and like there's a scene i talk about in my review where one of the girls the raiderette her 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 husband's job makes him move to london and she's folding clothes and stuff and she's like a stay-at-home mom now and this is a girl who trained to be a dancer for you know 20 years or whatever of her life and now she's just stuck at home being a stay-at-home mom and she's just like it's it's full-on feminine mystique shit she's just like I feel like I'm constantly taking care of other people. I never have time to take care of myself. And I'm just like, I'm so depressed. And I was like, this is, this is a feminine mistake. Like, and it, the movie is fully aware of that. And it like is constantly exploring those ideas. Like this idea of the way women's work is devalued. Like there's, I think it's, I'm sure the subjects didn't realize it was happening, but both of their husbands are basically just like, patriarchal nightmares people oh i mean they i'm sure they're nice otherwise but like anytime lacy asks her husband to like even watch their kids while on a weekend while she just wants to like practice a dance thing he like acts like a fucking like she asked him to murder someone like truly he can't even take care of his own children it's so fascinating the way this just like explores in so many ways the way women's work is devalued it's like so good i i can't wait for other people to see it honestly this we're we're recording this the day after um, the New York Times dropped that incredible story um, about the way work between um, same oops not same the work between um, straight couples that are having children like the way they divide their work. Did you happen to read that article? Yes. 
Yes, 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 yes. I've read that and the quotes from both the husbands and the wives. And I was like, you all need divorces. Like, what is wrong with straight people? We have to step back and study what the problem is because, my God. But that sounds really wonderful. I think, like, I've seen a lot. I want to say it was 60 Minutes. Like, there was a really great, like, piece of journalism, video journalism around the way cheerleaders are treated in the NFL, that it's in, it's insane. No, it was Full Frontal. It was Full Frontal with Samantha B. Mm. She did a great segment on it. And, it, you know, I mean, I'm with you. Football should be abolished. We, yeah. But, um, you know, I'm, fast, I'm excited to see that. Do you know if it's getting distribution? No, I don't think right now it has any has any distribution. Because literally the Kickstarter ended in, like, November of last year. Um, we, I think they were just trying to get funding <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. to, like put it in festivals but i'm sure it will i mean i already know that there's a pr person there are pr people attached to it who are like pushing it around so hopefully someone big buys it i wouldn't be surprised if hbo bought it you know what i mean like yeah that seems like a thing that they should buy um but yeah it's it's very good i'm sure it'll come out eventually um it it has to come out it's like too buzzy and too well made simply i'm excited to see it um Number seven, Leftover Woman. Yeah. Uh, I also wrote a review about this. It is a documentary about um, there is a any any woman who is above 20 in China who is not married because there's a, um, a severe gender uh, inequality because of uh, like in terms of numbers um, just because there's a one child policy. So the, m- women just outnumber men. And because women are now financially becoming more independent, they're not getting married. So any woman who is unmarried above the age of 20 is called a leftover woman. Um, huge stigma about it. And this one follows three women. Um, there is one, though, that they follow a lot who, honestly, <laughs> like, her 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 trajectory is, like, the same fucking um, plot as Gloria Bell from earlier this year. Like, Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> like, her real life. Like, this, the movie starts, and she's, like, a, a nice-looking girl. Which isn't the point, but like, <laughs> the the it's important for what the woman says. So she goes to this matchmaker who's like, "Listen, you're, we we both know you're not that pretty. You're, you're like, you're fine. You're like, you're gonna get by. But like, let's not pretend that you're like a hot commodity. Oh my you're God. a lawyer, and <laughs> she's a lawyer. <laughs> like, and the woman's like, you know, your profession has obviously made you un unlikable, and like, you have to. She's this woman literally says this, this is the opening scene, and then. The woman goes like, or the girl is like, I I don't want to have kids. I really am not interested in that. And the woman's like, you have to, you're you're not going to get married if you don't like agree to have kids. It's not going to happen. And then you see her go on dates, and there's this one nice guy who like, he says something about like, oh yeah, like I definitely see the way my mom now that she's more financially independent, the way she's more confident in my our my parents' marriage. And she's like, well, what are you looking for, you know, in terms of like power dynamics what are you looking for in a relationship he's like well i do want to be dominant and you can see her face just like shut down like she's just already gone and she's at some like the things this poor woman has to go to to like try to get a date Hmm. that that date is at like some weird matchmaker thing where they like take you in a room in some building and like you meet a secretary and they don't even eat anything you're just like in next to a table with a weird light on it it's so fucking weird um there's even another girl who goes to like (laughs) some dating competition on the weekends like it's it's just like a normal thing that happens she just gets on stage and then like people talk 
and decide if they want to date each other. It's horrifying. These poor women. And like, it's very culturally specific, but it also feels like, like any single woman who is advanced in her career and is focused on that in any like civil, you know, Western country where women have a lot of autonomy. It's, it feels very like it's, it's really harsh, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it's great though. Um, I don't think it has any distribution left, but I'm sure or yet, but I'm sure it will soon. Interesting. I I love having just like the diversity in the documentary that there, that are a feature of this festival. Like so many different topics. Um, Let's talk about your number six pick, which I also managed to see, The <laughs> Weekends, um, directed by Stella. I might butcher. I'm probably going to butcher this last name. Meghi. Yeah, that sound? I think that's it. Yeah, Stella Meghi, who I've been a fan of for a while because I saw her first film, um, Gene of the Joneses, at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2016, where it was one of my very favorites that I saw there, and it never really received like a proper distribution. I think like it might have like just like very quietly been made available but like mm-hmm. i don't even know where you could watch it it never made a splash but it's great and i never saw her studio follow up everything 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 but i've heard really good things i've seen that it's the best directed movie of that year really oh I, yeah I... a friend of mine and i who saw it together it's the the final act has a disastrous narrative plot point that that's probably just a problem with the book itself but it's about a girl who's confined to her house because she's like um has no immune system and it is the most creative thing I've ever seen because it like she finds ways to make that exciting. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I'm really interested in seeing it, especially since Stella Maggie is doing a um, another studio film, which will be out in 2020 called The Photograph, which stars mm-hmm. Issa Rae, which I'm super excited for. But um, The Weeknd stars um, um, Sashir Zamata from SNL, formerly from SNL. As this stand-up, stand-up comedian who goes away for an extended weekend with her ex-boyfriend, who she's friendly with. Um, they even imply like they're like best friends in a way, but just they used to date. And um, her like and his new um, girlfriend, played by Dewanda Wise, and um, they go to a bed and breakfast that um, the main character's mother is running, and there's a new there's a man there. Um, the only other guest at this resort who she kind of has a flirtation with. And it follows them over the course of this weekend. I had a lot of issues with the premise. Like, I just Mm -hmm. kind of sat there and thought, like, no one would ever do this. (laughs) Like, no one would ever go on a vacation with their ex-boyfriend, even if they're friendly, and then let their ex-boyfriend slash friend invite his new girlfriend and just have the three of them. Like it just, it's a horrible idea. Even my rom-com standards of like setups. I am like, I just don't think this would ever happen, (laughs) but, um, and the movie never really sells you on that either. Like I just, I never quite bought into it, but it's a really fun movie. I mean, um, just like everyone's so charming and the dialogue's great. Um, Stella Mickey has like a very, exciting directorial style that makes the most out of like dialogue driven scenes um i think you pointed out in your review and it's one of the scenes that it might have been your let like um your letterbox i reviewed it for the site <laughs> um you pointed out your letterbox review though i think um of um like the scene where they're all hiking and it cuts around between the different like the the different pairs they could form as they're hiking and it's terrific like it is just a great moment in the film and you know i 
I'm very excited to see what Stella Mickey does next as um, she gets a studio romantic comedy. What are your thoughts, um, Marissa? Yeah, I think I was a little more um, positive on, on it than you were just because I think it was one of the first narrative films I saw of the whole festival because obviously I didn't see a ton of them. Um, and it was just so pleasant and everybody was so good in it. And yeah, it's like heightened, but it also feels like a modern version of a Jane Austen novel in that like none of those feel that real to me either because like nobody is this clever, you know? Um, so I I kind of loved all of that. Um, but I totally see everything you're saying like – they're they don't behave like real people because she's making up a, a sort of point about um the relationship options that she has like there's this there's the ex who she idolizes basically mm-hmm. and like you know she's awful <laughs> to everyone um because of it especially to the girlfriend it's like jesus christ margo like punch her um i know i was just like i don't know who i sided with I'm like this is brutal like they're yeah she's poor margo is so nice too um but yeah like it's it's she clearly idolizes this guy and like their relationship but her chemistry with that other guy is so fucking palpable that i was like mm-hmm. oh my god please do it and there's that great scene where they're walking outside and she was there's like a moment of sexual tension and then all of a sudden she's like you could have given me your jacket like anytime <laughs> it's a great a great line <laughs> it's so funny like it's so aware of all these tropes and it's playing with them but it's also ignoring some of them and like yeah the di- directorial stuff is so in- her visual style is so incredible i really I, you absolutely have to see everything everything i think you'll be blown away by it because it's so romantic and it's got uh, the kid from love simon in it yeah, and um, it's been on HBO, like, who we just keep plugging HBO sponsor the pod, um, <laughs> like, for a long time. I have to just give it a try. I probably will before the photograph, her next film comes out, because I just, I'm all in on Stella Mickey. I think she's going to be huge. Cannot wait to see what she does. I don't think The Weeknd has distribution. Um, no, it doesn't yet. Which is insane because it's like out of all the things that like we've been talking about, this is pretty marketable. Like it's super like plus one I think is better, but like this is way more marketable. Like I I think that one like plus one feels more niche than this does. It's just like I don't get what they don't like like a smaller studio won't see in this, but I'm excited. I really think it's incredible that she's managed like Selmeki's managed to get like a studio movie. To follow this up because I think like eventually she will break out big, and I'm hoping the photograph coming out February twenty twenty does that. Um, we'll probably talk about it when that for that Oscar season. Hopefully, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, your top five, which I'm excited to hear all about these. Um, number five is Trixie Mattel moving parts. Obviously, Trixie Mattel of Drag Race fame, which we both love. What's the deal on Trixie Mattel? So she has talked a lot about in um, interviews and stuff about this being like being a snapshot of like the golden age of drag and like the the highest in terms of like that sounds like really arrogant, but it's it's it's, it's not really in that it is it is about an encapsulation of, of what it looks to be looks like right now to be a mainstream drag queen and be very successful. I mean, she's probably one of the most successful. She had a TV show. She's had a YouTube series, two decently selling albums, like shows all over the world. Like Trixie, whatever you think about her and what, regardless of the all-stars three nightmare, um, (laughs) you know, it's not her fault. (laughs) It's not her fault. Yeah. And like, (laughs) it's interesting. One of the interesting things in this is that you see her win or find out she won on, 
on camera because they don't they film multiple endings so it doesn't get um spoiled mm-hmm. now um and you see her find out live that she's winning at a at a at a live uh viewing at uh, Roscoe's Tavern which is where they do the official live viewings um and she's so happy and you're like oh like and you know the next day all she gets is like and now she'll talk about it and be like oh, you know, it's pretty cool. It's not that big of a deal. But, like, it clearly means so much to her, and that's only because people have been so awful to her about it. (laughs) She talks about it differently, but it's really lovely to see her um, so excited. But the really, the big draw for me about it is that I watch the show she has with Katya online called uh, Un is basically what it is. It's just a (laughs) grunt. Um, Like, constantly. It's when I'm at work and I don't want to, like, listen to music and I just want to have something on in the background that's talking because I do a lot of data processing. I put on that because I'll just listen to them and I love Katya. Um, and the main thing this is about, like it's supposed to be about their imper- her imper- imperial phase, but they happen to be there that the day that Katya has a nervous breakdown on set of the Trixie and Katya show, which was their vulture show or their Viceland show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole movie is like it, the absence of Katya hangs over the whole thing. And like, we see the breakdown on screen. It's horrible. It's horrible to watch because wow. it's someone who is having a nervous breakdown and is also a drug addict and like fully having a full on break with reality. And it's bad. And like she's being so mean to Trixie and you even if you don't know the context, you're like, oh, why is that person being so aggressive? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Um, I think it'll probably be best for drag fans, but I, I think it actually might be very accessible regardless Maybe wig might be a little more accessible to everyone um, just because her drag is like Trixie's drag is also very specific. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like she's got that crazy makeup. Um, she's obviously not trying to pass as a woman. You know? <laughs> and even her music itself is just like yeah, so off. She's a very offbeat drag queen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like pure country music. So like and apparently it's because um, I didn't realize this, but her, her grandfather was a, a country musician like. A small-time country musician, but was you know touring and stuff for for most of his life. Um, so yeah, I thought it was very good. I was very in it for the Katya stuff, um, and it's it is nice to see Trixie in that way because I think it is easy to dismiss her after the All Stars three situation, mm-hmm. and I think she's aware of all that. Um, but there's like great stuff in here where like we meet her mom and. She talks about the horrible abuse she used to experience from her stepdad as a kid, mm. um, which she talked about before. But like at one point, she's just like, yeah, I just thought everybody came home every day and wanted to die. And I was like, oh, my God. And then later she says something like, um, I don't know why, but people who are depressed really connect with my, my work. It's like, girl. Damn. So the, basically the whole movie is about Trixie, but it's there is this incredible undercurrent of mental illness in the drag scene. That is maybe not explored as much as I want it to be because her boyfriend is a producer on this. Mm. Um, and it's also a wonder, so that which it does drag race. So they're like not going to shit on themselves too much. Um, but it is oddly about the mental illness that is driving a lot of these drag queens or is part of what they've had to get past and work through with drag, if that makes sense. No, yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I mean, we don't talk enough in the queer community about just mental illness in general. So I'm I'm really excited for that. I hope it, it I don't think it is a distribution either, but I hope it gets I'm sure it will. Yeah. Um, I mean it's it's got wow behind it, so it'll either show up on VH one or I honestly think they'll hold it till the Netflix deal happens. 
Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, like, that sounds like a Netflix thing. Yeah, um, I'm sure it'll get put on Netflix and everybody will watch it, which is great. I can't wait to see it again. The next film, your number four, is one that I'm really hyped for. It comes out in June, so y'all be able to see it soon. And it's from a genre that I know, a subgenre, really, that you're that you're all in on. It's Wild Rose coming out from Neon on June 14th. Tell us about it. It is a fucking star-making turn for Jesse Buckley, um, who was in Beast last year. Did you see that? I didn't, and then everyone that has seen it says it's amazing, and I need to go check it out. I'm not a huge fan, but I remember watching her and thinking, like, who is this fucking girl? She's great. She's just some Scottish chick who with, like, red hair, who uh, uh, in in that she's real mousy, and then in this she's basically like Janis Joplin. It's basically A Star is Born or, you know, all the dozens of films we've seen about female pop stars in the last year, basically. Um, and But she wants to be a country star. So, But she's, like, a single mother, <laughs> um, like, living in Scotland who wants to make it to Nashville at some point. Um, so, like, there's no way it could happen. But then she – Sophie Okonedo hires her as a, um, as a maid, essentially, and mm-hmm. then hears her singing one day and then, like, gets her – radio friends to like hook her up and it looks like it might happen and and it it has the arc you expect for a lot of it where you think like well she's gonna try to do it and then realize that her kids are more important and and then it'll end right but then it keeps going and like it it does things you don't expect you're like she's never gonna make it to nashville but maybe there's a scene in nashville and maybe casey musgraves make it makes a completely un <laughs> unacknowledged cameo i'm not wait kidding. really yeah, she's in it. It's so wild. The gays are gonna she's, love this she's movie. She's singing in the background of a scene, and I was like, "Um, what? Like, is anybody seeing this?" <laughs> the gays did. The yeah, gays in the crowd did. Um, but it's a it's a great movie. It's well written and well acted. Um, and it plays, you know, it does a story we've seen a million times very well. And and Buckley is incredible. She helped write some of the music, and she's singing in it. She's got a hell of a voice. I, like, can't wait for that fucking soundtrack to come out. I'm going to buy it immediately or download it on Spotify. Um, I'm pumped for this. I, it sounds great. Um, the trailer's really wonderful. Yeah, you're going to love it. It's so it's so good. I was, like, I saw it very early on. And technically, I already had a screening invite from the PR group. Mm-hmm. And I almost, like, didn't write a review just so I could <laughs> see it a second time. <laughs> but i was like no i want to write a review and maybe they'll put it somewhere i don't know so i i wrote the review and told them like i don't need to go to the screening but yeah it's very good it's so good interesting um number three making waves this is a documentary right yep yeah it's a documentary about sound mixing and sound effects and sound work in film which sounds boring but is one of the best movies i saw at the obviously it's my number three um at the festival it is they interview a shitload of sound work people um and like big filmmakers like um uh they have a list in here. It. um nolan's what? in it christopher nolan and... yeah barely the big ones are are like coppola i don't don't think coppola's in it but like all of his people he worked with are so like it's about the way sound film or sound on film revolutionizes or like basically the history of sound in film, which sounds absolutely boring. I'm sure for anyone who's not a big sound like film person, but it's fascinating because they start with the jazz singer and they just go through every major thing that pushes film forward. So like they talk about the way that 
uh, Star Wars, or THX 1138 was one of the first, it was basically the first film that was like all, or sounds that he had created. Like it, like it creates, or the way King Kong creates sound design by like making, getting, having the guy go out there <laughs> to a zoo and record animals and then mix them together. Like that had never been done before King Kong. So like, and then like, uh, what's his name? Um, like it made me appreciate movies that I knew were good, but I didn't always connect with in ways that I just had never realized because some of them I haven't seen on a big screen. Like they talk about the way, because um, Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, his history, his experience was in radio before that. So he gives each space that in the movie, its own sound design, which was unique for the time. And like, I never knew that because I've never seen that on a big screen. I've only seen it on television and it's not a movie I love very much. So like, that surprised me. And then also, did you know that that movies were only in mono until like the 70s? No. And I yeah. mean, I probably have heard that, but yeah. hearing it again, damn. You know the movie that makes it popular? It's A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand. She Because dis- she was in the music business and like stereo sound had been basically normalized by then in the m- music industry. But all of like Dolby digital sound starts in the seventies and basically becomes popular popularized through a star is born. And she paid a million dollars of her own money to spend four months making it a stereo film. And then it was such a success that like stereo film became the standard. So like I, that's not a movie I like very much, but it makes sense now why people loved it so much because the experience must've been absolutely incredible. That sounds, it sounds like a really compelling yeah. Just look at film history, which I know, I mean, based on our podcast, people can tell who yeah. you both love. Um, has it been given distribution yet? I believe, I mean, there's no way it won't end up somewhere very quickly, I would say. Like, it's already got, it, it's already got a, a PR firm behind, behind it that's, like, pretty active and... The, just the, like, the way it digs in the star, like, it talks about Star Wars a lot because Star Wars made a lot of, like... Um, was also one of the films that advanced sound work by by having all of that stuff organically recorded, mm-hmm. um, and also it it create I think it was the first film to use like four track or six track sound, which means multiple like not just surround sound but like multiple speakers or something like that. So like there's a scene where they show what six track sound is through Apocalypse. Oh, it's Apocalypse now. That's the first one to do six track, and they show what that means. So basically, at the six speakers placed in the room all are directional to follow what's going on on screen. So you understand like, Oh, this is what, this is what I experience now that like people didn't experience before, but it just like emphasizes things in a way that I think like, I just, there's no way that's not going to get distribution. Basically there's like too many big people involved with it. You know, I, well, I'm excited. It's playing con, I believe based on the, um, yeah, the poster on letterbox. So, that's the one to watch out for, I think. We all know that the Academy loves movies about movies. So I have a feeling we'll be talking about this one when we get to the, our documentary episode in 2020. Yep. Um, your number two is a film that I am so excited to watch <laughs> whenever it gets released. Um, you Don't Know Me, the documentary about um, Nomi Malone and Showgirls and the, the legacy around Showgirls. What's your relationship with Showgirls first, and then let's go into the movie itself? I saw it years ago because I heard it was bad, and mm. I didn't get it. I was like, okay, this is – like, it's bad. I don't <laughs> – there's nothing to enjoy here. Like, <laughs> this is so bad. Like, why is – Elizabeth Berkeley, I 
is terrible at it to me always has been always will be um but then i watched it right again right before this and i think the first time i saw it i was either unwilling to i was not open to its camp Mm. and i wasn't also open to um the insane sexuality of of gina gershon in it but i saw bound earlier this year and i am ready for gina gershon so i saw it right before like watching the documentary and I was like, oh, maybe there is something here. It's still bad. Like, Berkeley is terrible, but there's something interesting here in that it is a, it is that same narrative of A Star is Born, but it's just a bunch of, like, insane people, and the nudity is stupid as hell, and, like, the dialogue is often terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so bad. Um, but it's, it is, there's something fun and interesting about it because it's, for Hoven, and it's very well made. Like the cinematography is great, the set design is great. It they spent a lot of money on that movie. Um, and you don't know me does explore. Like obviously, you wouldn't make a film about showgirls and the the reappropriation of it over the last twenty years if you didn't love the movie. But it does show both options of like there are people who hate it, there are people who love it, and it only uses it never does a talking head like you hear people talking but it shows only films from verhoven's work and uh showgirls and other films to like emphasize things so like there's um there's a moment where uh one of the people talking and i mentioned this in my review where one of the people talking says like oh showgirls only makes sense in the context of his full his full oeuvre basically and from then on, there, there's a, there's, well, from there, there's like a little sequence where themes repeat. Like there's that insane conversation in the middle of Showgirls, the dog food one. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Apparently, the dog food thing happens in more than one of his films. Like women eating dog food for whatever reason. So like it's a kink of his. And then <laughs> there's women throwing up in like most of his films. Like beautiful women throwing up for whatever reason. So like it's all of this it's basically like a an essay a critical essay about about one film um in a live movie version and uh, the audience was really into it it's a real crowd pleaser i'm sh- it should it should absolutely be released in theaters for people to like you know see on and like ex- experience together in the same way that they do showgirls but i also think it would be great for like netflix i Cannot wait to see it. I am a huge Showgirls fan. <laughs> um, that and just Verhoeven in general. Um, yeah, and I'll even defend Berkeley in it. Like I, I think she's she, the movie's a mess, and she's not giving a good performance. But I think it's so interesting, <laughs> and, and like her performance is interesting. Is it's it's interesting. You know, yeah. I can't watch that sex scene and just think like. She's not interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, there's something. One of the people talking about it at one point says, like, Nomi is such a fascinating character. It's like, her, you could sum her up by saying, like, why touch something that you could kick? Like, that's her whole. <laughs> that's her motivating, like, personality trait. And I was like, God, he's so right. <laughs> she does a lot of kicking in that movie. <laughs> she loves to kick shit. And, like, None of it makes any sense. Like, they dissect the scene where she meets her best friend, basically, and they're, like, horrible to each other, and then all of a sudden they're, like, connected by souls, and the guy's like, I was like, this can't, this is bad. Like, (laughs) how could they possibly expect us to buy into this? It's such a wild movie. Oh, my God. We we can go on a whole tangent about just showgirls, because I think that movie is 
fucking insane, but in the best way. And I cannot wait to see You Don't Know Me. Again, another one like Plus One that I desperately wanted to go see, but none of the screenings worked out in my favor. And I cannot wait. I'm sure it'll be released. Um, Yeah, there's no way it's not going to make it out there somewhere. And finally, your number one, which is truthfully a film that I do not remember hearing about. I don't know what to expect from this one. What is Flesh Out? Flesh Out is a it was the I have an interview with the director coming up at some point. I just haven't had time to like you know transcribe it. Um, but it is uh, basically she she went to Mauritania, which is on the like western northwestern coast of Africa. Um, and there's this thing there called gavage where women, um, like being, being heavier is beautiful. So like women will literally go to parties on the weekends and just eat to keep their weight up Mm. and like dangerously sometimes. Um, and they'll take like pills to, um, to keep their weight up that could fucking kill them. You know, the, it's insane. And there are, there are like, uh, what's it like? camps or i guess i don't know what the right word would be but like places in the desert where like they'll literally torture torture young girls essentially but they'll like smash their feet between two pieces of like sticks of wood two wooden rods and make them eat stuff and then if they throw up in the bowl they still have to keep eating it they gotta eat the puke now um Uh yeah so it's about one girl who um especially happens when a woman is about to get married so like it, it basically they're fattening the calf realistically for that. And, and that's just not me being necessarily culturally insensitive. There is, um, they, she draws that line in the film and it's the actress who's in it is it's based on her life. Um, and the people in it are all, it's all kind of based on their life. They're like real people. This is their first time acting, um, outside of like, you know, school plays and shit. Um, but it draws this line of like, she, her, she gets woken up one morning and her parents are like, we just, made a wedding deal for you um here's a bowl of rice and meat and shit and uh and a a, like a gallon of milk you have to drink this you have to eat this 10 times a day um so that's the first thing we see is like her drinking this milk painstakingly and there's this i talked about it with the director but there's this like sort of asmr thing of like you can hear her every gulp is painstaking and like the more the movie goes on and you see her eat this meal it's like jesus when does it stop like and she has to do it for like three months Hmm. um but yeah so it's about this girl who basically is her friends and her are like obsessed with western culture and western standards of beauty and she has to start doing this thing that's traditional and like her parents want her to do it and it it's this tension between western standards of beauty and eastern standards of beauty or like, you know, non-Western, I guess. Um, and it becomes this movie about like the way beauty standards in any culture are a way to police women's bodies and police women, essentially. Hmm. Um, and it's a fictional film, but it's like she basically originally was like going to do a documentary and then realized that like she couldn't get one person who embodied all these things about Gavage. So she made it into a, a narrative film and, and you, and asked this girl to play it. Um, and like, it's just, it was so like engrossing and fascinating. And like, I haven't, I saw pretty early on and I haven't stopped thinking about it since, you know? So yeah. yeah, it's just great. I hope it, I don't think it has any like distribution at the moment. I think the critics in, in the, 
at the um, festival seemed pretty interested in it. Like, I did the interviews one day, and it was packed. Like, they were already late. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and, like, I pushed it even later. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, there were constant people coming in to, like, interview for Flesh Out. So I think critics definitely liked it. I'm I'm sad it didn't get any more, like, didn't win a prize or anything, but it was so good. It's, like, it's chilling. It's just so good. Like, Every minute of it was interesting, and it has one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen. At the, in the its final shot is one of the like most impressive shots I've ever seen in a film. Oh wow! I'm I'm very excited. I I had no idea what that was about, and it sounds it sounds like a hard watch, but I'm very yeah. I'm very curious about it. Hopefully, it gets yeah. released. Um, well, this is it's insane just to go through all these movies you watched and. I commend you for this. This is it, it. This is it. Really, film festivals are hard. People, I don't think people realize when you're approaching a film festival how difficult like it actually is. And we we do it for like the love of movies, but like it, it can be exhausting. Are, are you ready to like never watch another movie again? <laughs> yeah, I have a couple more I got to review this week. Uh, two for the festival, I think, and then uh, others are just like screenings I had coming up. But I absolutely am taking a break after this. Like I just I just want to watch some television and relax and like everybody like literal literal critics are reaching out to me being like jesus christ how did you watch so many movies (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean like i think most people watch a lot of movies like i didn't review all of these i i reviewed i did review like 25 and by the end of it will probably be like 26 or 7 um and i actually like i'm still kind of like i might even i should probably mention here but i saw this like short film about like by hp printers about like um the way photographs affect people that was like 12 minutes long. And like, I might even write, I probably will start still write something about that. Like it's called the, the history of memory, but like, yeah, like I just saw so much shit. And I think most people really don't review that much. They just see a bunch of shit and then decide. But like when I made my schedule, I was like, I'm going to review all of these. And I scheduled it so that I could make time to review as many of these as possible. And I did like, you know, a lot. Yeah. Well, the reviews are wonderful. The, and I'm excited for people to watch these movies and to read your reviews of them. Um, do you have anything else about Rebecca you want to say before we sign off? Or no, uh, thanks for doing this, man, and thanks for taking two of them because I. <laughs> I think it would be <laughs> it's the least I could do. <laughs> um, no, I um, I only wish I could have seen plus one. I mean, uh, many of these I want to see, but I wish I could have seen plus one, and you don't know me. But, you know, they'll be out there eventually. At least plus one definitely will be, and I cannot wait. I'm counting the days. Um, so on that note, where can people find you on social media, Marissa? And what can they expect from you on this site in the coming weeks? Except for more um, reviews. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at Marissa Garbico everywhere. Um, check, you can check out that that ranking list on Letterboxd. I'll probably add a couple more as I, you know, things come in. Or I finish the last couple. Um, I don't know what I have coming up. Uh, who knows? I, I can't even think at this point. <laughs> oh, you know, eventually I'll have a Toni Morrison documentary to write about that I saw months ago. That'll be coming out fairly soon. Well, I guess it comes out in June. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I try to take a little bit of a break in May. Oh, I have uh, Biggest Little Farm coming out um, in a couple, probably next week, I think it is. Um, I have some thoughts on that. Um, and Palms and Tolkien all have that same week. So, yeah. And um, did you say where they call you on Twitter? I completely blanked out. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I said it. It's good. You're good to go. Okay. <laughs> And um, you can find me on Twitter at MattNotMatthew1. You can find me on Letterboxd at Matt T. 
And um, in terms of what's coming out of the site, you can re- see my reviews for In Fabric and um, The Weekends. I also reviewed Rafiki, the new, um, well, not new, it was the film festival circuits last year, but the um, a really great queer international film that I think is worth checking out. Um, some TV stuff coming out. Netflix is dropping an insane amount of content in May, so a bunch of people from the site are covering a lot of the new shows that they're they're dropping. I'll be reviewing at least the first few episodes of the new show, um, What Slash If. I don't know how, how you're supposed to say the title. But um, the new Netflix soap opera starring Renee Zellweger, which I'm so excited for. Don't talk to me that weekend because it's <laughs> all, all, all I'm doing is watching that show. Um, and yeah, lots of great stuff. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Letterboxd. Get ready for some more podcasts in the coming weeks. You can listen to our and the Winner Still Is podcast every Monday, um, at least through the end of June. So you have that to listen to. Thanks for listening, everybody.